Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move, I don't care who it is. Just do Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right of the week. We're talking about setting the draft board today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fred Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 327. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a man who was a director of college scouting for 19 years with the Tennessee Titans, Blake Beddingfield. And you can find his work over at bettingfieldsports.com. And he was kind enough to join us on the show to peel back the curtain a little bit on the pre-draft process as we sit here right now. It's the second week of April. What's going on around the NFL as we're just a couple of weeks away from the NFL draft? Our board set, what kind of information are teams gathering right now? What, how is this year different than a normal year? We're going to hit on a lot of that right at the top of the show in Chalk Talk. But first, a couple of quick things to hit on. First up, I want to remind you guys to head on over to our Apple podcast page You know what I'm going to say. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, now's the time. Jump on. Leave it right there in that comment section, and we will hit on it here in a future show. Not only does that help you get your question answered, but it also helps us in terms of making the show available to others that are looking for Eagles podcasts, X's and O's podcasts, whatever they're looking for. So any support you can give us will be greatly, greatly appreciated. Also, if you're into this show and you're if you're into this conversation, make sure you go listen to the Journey to the Draft podcast this week. Uh, we are talking corners early this week. Myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel. We're going to highlight a bunch of the names that you've heard of and hopefully some of the names you haven't heard of in this cornerback class in the NFL draft. So make sure you go find that wherever podcasts can be found. That's the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, before we get this conversation going as well, the Eagles made a couple moves last week. They were able to bring in a new player, linebacker Eric Wilson, signing a one-year deal from the Minnesota Vikings. I would give you my thoughts on Eric Wilson, but I'm going to save that for a little bit later this week. We're going to do our scouting report episode just on Eric Wilson, and I am really happy to welcome in one of my friends, one of my best friends in this business. That's Ike Reese, longtime Eagles linebacker. He's going to come on and talk all about Eric Wilson. So our resident linebacker is going to talk about our newest linebacker, and I'm excited to talk about that with Ike Reese later this week. So make sure you stay tuned to the feed. It'll drop uh, Wednesday morning right here uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky. And then the Eagles also bring back a familiar face with running back Jordan Howard agreeing to a a contract as well. So uh, Jordan Howard comes back, and and I like the addition of Jordan Howard. You can go back. We've talked about it a lot here on this podcast. Whenever he's been here, I think he offers a really good compliment to Miles Sanders. Now, we'll see what the Eagles decide to do at the running back position moving forward. Obviously, the offseason is not complete uh, as we sit here at this stage. But I think when you look at what he can be uh, as a nice compliment to Miles Sanders, a between-the-tackles grinder, we've talked about it, right? He can set the tone early. He can finish out games. Uh, that's kind of the role that Jordan Howard can bring to a backfield. So excited to see him back in the Eagles green. That being said, uh, let's get this roll with this one going. I'm excited for you guys to hear this conversation with Blake Bettingfield. Let's start it off right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, as I teased at the top of the show, excited to welcome in a longtime NFL scout, college scouting director for 19 years with the Tennessee Titans, Blake Bettingfield. Blake, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. You bet. It's my pleasure to be here. So let's first off just kind of get into, before we get into this time of year and what's going on all around the league, give give fans a little bit of insight into the role of a college scouting director uh, and what that position entails for an NFL team. 
Sure. College scouting director is is really in charge of all the college scouts that are usually on the road. And most teams make up of five area scouts that canvas the country, two regional scouts that usually split the country in half and oversee kind of the, the, t- the top players, all draftable type players. And then the director of college scouting will come in and kind of see all, again, all the top players, usually the top 150 and then tries to uh, to look at the rest of the draftable type players, organizing the scouts as they go out through the entire year, but also as we get through the draft process, whether it's the all-star games, the combine, pro days, kind of organizing where the scouts are going and making sure all the players are seen. And, and we kind of have all the information that we need on each individual player that the uh, certain organization is, is focusing on. So how is it that, you know, when you have the, the area scouts and they're going to have their long list of all their guys in their area of the country, what is it that makes a guy available, I guess, to be watched by the college scouting director? Is it a, a, a guy that reaches a certain grade? Okay, let's pass this on to the director. How does that typically work? You know, we'll start this process in the summer before the season starts. So once the uh, this draft is over in 2021, uh, the director of college scouting and, and the scouts will get together in June and July and start to evaluate for next year's draft. And that process of, of kind of scheduling the visits to the schools and scheduling for the uh, area scout and the regional scout and the director really starts back in the summer when you do your summer evaluations. And uh, that, that's a big part of it. But as a player kind of emerges during the year, <clears throat> especially if, if it's a if it's a high grade, meaning a fourth round grade or better, uh, the director of college scouting is going to get out and put his eyes on that player. Um, and then, you know, it continues to go up the chain from there, maybe a director of player personnel, general manager. Uh, but you want to have at least three grades on every player, fourth round and above. You know, especially quarterbacks, certain positions that that really take precedence as well. Uh, but you're going to end up having an area scout, a regional scout, a director's grade before the general manager even sees sees the individual player. And then you factor in like the coaching staff as well. You're going to have you know the strength staff and analytics staff. Like there are going to be so so many sets of eyes. Uh, what is that like as a, as a scouting director to try and manage that, or is that kind of like the, up to the GM to kind of purse all of that out? No, it usually falls on the director uh, of scouting, especially once we get into that, once the season's over for the coaches uh, and you start to uh, get the coaches on the road, whether it's pro days, uh, the all-star games and the combine, uh, you have to kind of uh, get get with them and sit with them. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the job is, is kind of introducing them to the player and then getting their opinions on them and how they fit. I think that's a, per, a really uh, big part of the job as a director of scouting is is going to each individual position coach, coordinator, and then ultimately the head coach and finding out the fit for your organization and and how this player is going to be uh, u- utilized if you ended up selecting. And what I love too about that part of it as well is when you talk to you know a position coach or like I said you know a strength coach, everybody has a different skill set in different ways that they're going to look through, look at a player through different lenses. So a strength coach may notice things. You're like, man, like I've never thought about looking at it from that standpoint. And obviously a position coach, they're looking at through such a fine tooth comb for what uh, works just for them in that room. Uh, How much of that goes into it as well? And how much time did you spend even before getting to that point in February and March, where maybe in the summer, it's like, all right, let's catch up with this DB coach and just kind of refine what we're looking for at the position. 
No question about it. It's constant communication. I think it creates a, an open environment of communicating with the coaches and scouting staff. The personnel and scouting staff in certain organizations kind of have a, a split, you know, that there's, there's just the personnel and then there's the coaches. I think the ones that, that mingle together and, and intertwine really have a lot of success. And, and I would add in the trainers and, like you said, the strength yeah. and conditioning coaches as well. If there is a player that's had an injury throughout the year, I'll, I will get with the trainer, the head trainer usually, and sit down and actually watch game film with the trainer to see if, if that injury is still hampering him, if there's something that's just not firing the way it should be firing. And, and if he's um, you know not playing up to his capabilities physically, I like to get with the trainer and sit with them too, not, not actually asking them to evaluate the player, and the talent, but just the injury. And, you know, they've seen it so many times, maybe the rehab process, they're still in that, that part or that there are other uh, muscle groups or other things that are happening to that player because of the previous injury. So it, it's, it's a big, you, you have the building, everyone has their expertise. And I think if you use your expertise in that manner, you will have a lot of success. It creates a lot of, uh, you know, good nature within the organization, sure. but it creates accountability too. If you're accountable as a position coach for defining exactly what we're looking for and the scouts go and find that player, there is accountability on every level of the organization, which I think is good. Yeah. And I, I love that. They just, you know, you talk about sitting down with a, with a trainer or watching film and there are times like you go to the senior ball and maybe there's a strength coach that's at the senior ball or strength coaches that are at the combine. They all go out there every single year to Indianapolis and a fan might say, well, why, why would a team strength coach be there? Shouldn't they be working with their players? And it's like, no, they go to, to weigh-ins, they go to workouts. They're trying to see how these guys are built and trying to make sure that they've got notes on that as well. And they're able to supply that up the chain. So uh, that, that collaborative process is so interesting to me. Uh, we talked about different parts of this process. But let's get to like right now. And maybe that time has just kind of passed. But what's going on with all 32 teams in draft rooms across the league uh, as we sit here in early April? This is a fun time of the year for a, for a scout or for a director of scouting. This is the you are you're really on the cusp of taking of the players that you've been evaluating for over a year. Something that it, you kind of put that that final touch on. And right now you're having draft meetings. And you're going over all the players. You're going to go over their medical. You're going to go over their background. You've already had meetings usually in December or January about their physical talent during the year. What's the updates now since the season has ended? Tell me a little bit about the All-Star game. We're going to go over the combine, if they had a combine, which they didn't this year. We're going to go over the pro day workouts. What has changed in this player from what we saw, which is the most important part, in the fall when they were actually playing football? This year's draft, with so many players that opted out, there is so much background that needs to be investigated uh, with so many players that didn't even play in 2020. Uh, where have they been? What have they been doing? Uh, have they been working out where? That type of thing. So there's so many things that can go on, but there's so many different other things as well. You know, with certain organizations, you have a psychologist that has interviewed a number of these players. You have uh, the the uh Background reports, meaning like on-campus police at the different universities, FBI reports. You've got a lot of the, the other things other than just football right now that's important. And then the ultimate, which is the medical. These are This, is, this will determine who ends up on your board or can be taken off. 
outside of just the actual football ability, this could be something. And this is where I talk about everyone having an expertise, your medical, your orthopedic surgeons, your trainers can determine who is on your board or off based on a medical condition. Uh, your the FBI, the uh, police, your your people that are doing the investigations, uh, calling um, on these individual players can sometimes determine who is on and off your board. So everyone has a role. And I think at this point of the year, it's really fine tuning that draft board. And I guess this year is so unique because a lot of that medical stuff, you you know, every team has gotten, we're talking like weeks ago, five weeks ago uh, out in Indianapolis, those medical checks uh, for some of the top prospects didn't happen until just this past week. What is that going to be like? I mean, if you're, if you're in that, in those shoes, like, is that tough where this whole, maybe for the last 10 months, Hey, we've had this guy where we really feel highly about this player. And then you find out three weeks before the draft, oh man, you know, like he's got uh, something that we just, we can't clear him. We can't put him on our board. Uh, what is that going to do for teams all around the league right now? Oh, it's awful. It's <laughs> awful for a scout. It's awful for a GM coach. You put so much time and effort into evaluating a player that you start to see as a fit for your organization. And now all of a sudden he's going to be taken off or maybe a medical condition. Usually we get those updates in February. I, I will go each night and talk to our trainers and, and doctors at the combine, kind of you know asking them what they've seen or heard from some of the other doctors, just to kind of get an idea. But you've spent so much time, so many resources on evaluating these players this year to have someone taken off this late in the game. And it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen every year that a player just, you, you just can't take and you have to trust the medical people that you have in place to make those decisions. And it's tough. And maybe there's a value you put on a player if. If it's, a, if it's an injury and it's a high-value player that you knock him down the board a little bit and still would take him uh, and take a risk uh, maybe later in the draft. So, obviously, there will be a little bit of movement uh, depending on how these medical checks go for these players. At what point during your career was the board, like, locked? Was it the week of? Was it weeks before? Was it the night before? Uh, at what point was the board locked for, for you guys uh, going into a draft? You know, I think every year, definitely every every um, general manager or coach, and depending on who depending on who was in charge, kind of had different rules to that. My favorite was always when it was locked early on, and I'm talking about January. Wow. And then maybe you moved a player over a player within a position group, wow. not jumping rounds or anything like that. That's when you make mistakes. So my favorite is when you locked it in January after the season was over and then the, the subtle movements based on injuries off the field issues that kind of came up or, or maybe something that um, you just, the player fit was a little bit better, uh, but you're basically moving within a group, not jumping rounds, like I said. So, um, but, but it can change throughout the organization. Some I've been a part of where they moved um, a couple of nights before the draft. And those are usually the ones that you make mistakes on. Sure. At what point is that first board like initially set? You talked about the meetings that happened uh, over in the previous summer. Did that board, you know, quote unquote board not get set until like those December meetings towards the end of the season? Uh, At what point did that happen? Correct. Yeah. They usually don't get set until those December, January meetings when the, when the actual football playing is over and you can evaluate all the film and that's when it's set. And then, you know, you have little subtle adjustments throughout the process for the next four months. And then just for fans that have never, you know, they may think that when they think of draft board, maybe they think of, you know, Mel Kuyper's big board and it's just a a group of 30 players. What does a board look like? And did you guys have multiple boards? How how was it that you guys structured it? Not giving away too much uh, secret sauce. 
No, definitely. You know, the, the, the best board that it, it, you could be a part of, you can have a top 100 board of, of players and kind of be able to identify the names on that top 100. But I think the best uh, board is when you rank them vertically and horizontally by position. So you can horizontal board and see the top players in the draft that are still available, but vertically within a position group as well. And, and that gives you a good idea of, of the depth of the draft that's still available as that process gets faster uh, with those five minute uh, selections, mm. you know, you start to, you really need to have the board set and, and, and be able to view it. The horizontal port part allows you to see any player that you have ranked high that's still on the board, but that maybe isn't a position of need, but could be a best player available type situation. And you can't ignore those type players. And, and I know in the, in the past, we've had a lot of success with that going up and taking a player that wasn't a position of need, but just happened to be really high ranked by the scouts. And when a general manager selects those, you, you end up having a lot of success with those type players because they fell for whatever reason, maybe too much, too much depth in that, at that position. But if you can take them and sit on them, you end up getting a good player. I try and, and like uh, really explain this as much as possible to fans, but you know, after every draft, every coach, every GM, uh, you know, comes out of the press conference and says, yeah, like we couldn't believe so-and-so was there. We had a first round grade on, we had a second round grade on him in the fourth round. But that's like that's a real thing that, that happened because all 32 teams have boards that are going to be different from each other. So typically you're going to see that. Right. I mean, that, that's not just lip service. No question. Uh, you know, it happens all the time. And, you know, I think if you if you end up having that uh, a couple of years ago, we took a Daquan Jones, a defensive tackle out of Penn State in the fourth round. All of our scouts had a late first, early second round grade on the player. And he just happened to be there in the fourth round. Wasn't a position of need at that point, hmm. but the general manager could not. Uh, pass him up and and took him and he, he's still in the league today and and playing at a high level playing as a late first round early second round graded player and so the the grade was justified and the draft choice was of great value in the fourth round so I think when you get those type situations you really have to uh, accept them and just take it uh, instead of taking a, a position of need I think when you start taking a position of need you you end up having a lot of a uh, lot more failure or or not the value of the player of the pick that you ended up uh, selecting him. And then lastly, just when you get to this time of year, we're, you know, just a couple of weeks out uh, from the draft. And I guess this year it's more unique just because of uh, the nature of how the process was. What kind of information is trying to be secured this time of year? Uh, what is the, what, the, what's the, what is that process like? You know, this is the, this is the time of the year that scouts get a little nervous because they want to have every uh, player identified all the background, the, the playing stuff is not something you worry about now, though, the actual ability. It's the off the field. Did I find out everything? Now you're checking with all your kind of friends in the league that have the similar player scouts, even though they work for different teams, kind of work together a little bit on background type stuff. Uh, you know, you don't want your 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 a, a scout from another team to fail, you yeah. know, by having uh not having the background, you're not going to give up any kind of pertinent information or where you're drafting or anything like that. But this is where you're calling extra high school coaches, counselors. Um, you know, I, I know we drafted a couple players that were major league baseball players. I called the GMs of major league baseball teams to ask what they knew about the player. Um, so there was a lot of tying up loose ends, uh, but also I'm actually contacting the players at this time of the year, just keeping a, making sure I have the right cell phone numbers, making sure when we call them and tell them we're going to be drafted, I'm also asking them who's calling them uh, from other teams. And they're usually free to, um, to offer that information. And I know that's been very 
helpful in past drafts where I knew a player was uh, being looked at by a certain team and I, I knew we had to select them in a certain round to get them. So uh, just based on conversations with players. So, you know, it's good to continue to work all the way up until that selection's made. And then just kind of like wade through the media stuff, whether it's uh, reports about, oh, you know, like if it's a, an NFL insider reporting that, oh, you know, this player is working out for this team or showing interest for that team. Uh, how do you kind of wade through that, knowing that you know, everybody refers to this time of year as lying season? You know, it, there, there is a lot of that that goes on. It's it's uh, but there are some people with loose lips too that, that, right. that tend to. Um, tend to say things they shouldn't. And you end up knowing those people in the business and, and you end up knowing this, the certain media members that can get that type of information. Some that are just putting out information and some that actually have contacts, um, you know, and, and those are the ones that you're listening to. Those are the ones that you're keeping an eye on when they report something. Is it a little bit weird too? this? I guess with this year uh, with no combine, I've joked about this in the past. Like, uh, you know, you go to the combine after after workouts, you go out for drinks, you go to you go to Elmo's, you go to this bar, that bar. Uh, You know, maybe the uh, the loose lips aren't flying as loose uh, this year. A little bit different. I would think everyone's a little bit more tempered, but you're still seeing plenty of that stuff out there. No question about it. And, and you know who to get around in those type of situations, especially out at bars or you, you know, who's <laughs> willing to talk, especially if you buy them a drink or two, but, um, and, and that's always good to know. So, um, it, you can find out a lot of information that way. And, and it's, it's over my 19 drafts that I was a part of, uh, there's been a number of circumstances where that stuff was helpful. Well, Blake, uh, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for helping us uh, kind of peel back the curtain a little bit on this part of the pre-draft process. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope to talk to you soon. You bet. Happy to do it anytime. Love talking draft, love talking ball. Great stuff from Blake. You can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Blake Bed. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out today to someone who did exactly that. Golden Eagle 26 left a five-star review saying, hey, Fran, thanks for doing such a wonderful job of keeping the fans informed and involved throughout the year. I'm always learning something new or seeing it from a different perspective. Just like most Eagles fans, I was upset when I found out that we had traded back in the draft because I wanted either Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. However, I have to give credit to Howie Roseman because if there's one thing, he always has a vision, especially when it comes to trades and collecting picks for down the road. I think that Jalen Waddle, one of the best receivers, will be available at 12 overall. As long as he has a good fit and on the same page of the quarterback and is not injury prone, I am good. So Golden Eagle, uh, appreciate the comment. Thanks so much for leaving that. And thanks so much for the five-star review. I, look, I, we talked about this when the Eagles made the trade. I like the idea of, number one, you collect that extra first-round pick for next year. Now you're up to potentially three first-round picks. That gives you so much flexibility uh, for next season. And you can do with those picks whatever you want, whether you're going to try and make a move for one position, if you want to try and kind of bolster a couple of different spots. The Eagles have optionality here for 2022. And, And just having that for a team that's trying to acquire as much young talent as possible that's huge, number one. You also got a couple extra picks for this year as well, so continue to bolster uh, the the war chest for this year, and, and that's big for this team. Again, trying to get as many good young players uh, as possible into the program. But then, too, when going from 6 to 12, when you know that there are going to be this many quarterbacks going high in the draft, the Eagles have the ability to be able to get a good player still at 12 overall, and with all of these picks, you still have the ability, whether you want to move back up, whether you want to move down, I think uh, things are going to, there's going to be plenty on the table. So the Eagles can allow this board to come to them. 
go to a number of different directions. I think it was a really smart decision uh, to make that move from six to 12. It's not always just about getting one player. Uh, you can try and get as many guys as you can. Uh, so many teams very often find a lot of value in trading down. And obviously the Eagles uh, in this scenario did exactly that. So thanks so much to Golden Eagle. And thank to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week.